And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. You lost your magic. They knocked you off your game. Your Carlness went right out the window. What's with this Carlness? It's not even a, a real word. It's a conjunction, a preposition. It's a philosophy, a way of life. It's your name with Miss attached to it. Bob, listen to me. If you'd have done what I asked you to and come in my dressing room before the show, you'd have known that you weren't supposed to come out here until I introduced you. Jack, I tried to get into your dressing room, but I didn't have a nickel. I understand you're pretty funny as a DJ, and comedy is a kind of hobby of mine. Well, well, actually, it's a little more than just a hobby. Reader's Digest is considering publishing two of my jokes. Really? Yeah. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Money Dollar. Leave the gun. Take the cannoli. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360 will conclude The Great Gildersleeve from 1950, starring Willard Waterman. Then, Lou Merrill stars as connoisseur of murder and teller of tales, Thomas Hyland, on Crime Classics from 1953. By my side is my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? What's up, Carl? Hey, yeah, you like those uh, true crime cases, don't you? I do. Because I... you were trying to be a... Uh, a criminal. Criminologist. <laughs> no, I was trying to be a criminal. Oh, a criminal. I failed at that. She likes it even more than being a criminologist. Oh, huh? sure. You're like the lovely Margot Lane you used to follow around Lamont Cranston. He was a criminologist. Yeah, that would be great. I did take some criminology classes Did you? Well, you really were in college that. long enough. Sure, right, probably... I took a little of everything. I mean, you probably took every class there was. I just said Did that. you take home economics? Of course. You did? Of course. Well, you can't cook? I learned how to sew. See, sigh, sew. Is that what you do? You can no. sew? You can actually sew? You can darn my socks? I, I should be doing that for you. Would you be willing to touch my socks? No. Okay, I didn't think so. All right, well, uh, I digress. Last time, we began listening to The Great Gildersleeve from 1950. Chief Gates is on the spot, and Willard Waterman wants to help him out as Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve. Let's go back to December 13, 1950, for the conclusion of The Great Gildersleeve. Watch where you're going, Floyd. Relax, Commish. I'm following that truck. Those guys are careful drivers. Yeah, yes, they are. Not crowding you, are we, Rolly? Three of us in the front seat? No, I'm very comfortable, thank you. You hope we're not putting you out tonight? No, you might say you're putting me in. (laughs) (laughs) Very good, Rolly, very good. Yeah, it won't be long until you'll be in that nice, warm jail playing pinochle with the chief. I'm looking forward to it. Always like to be in jail by Christmas. Do you do? Chief always serves stuffed goose, Idaho potatoes, and plum pudding. Very kind man, the chief. You like the way we feel about it. You said it. I tried to get in for Thanksgiving turkey, but he wouldn't arrest me. Ah, that's the chief. Well, I guess I better park the car in the alley. Yes, Floyd. Hide it between the buildings. Floyd. Okay, okay. (laughs) Oh, oh, I hope this snowstorm doesn't last too long. I feel kind of sorry for you gents on the outside. (laughs) Yep. Snow's deep, all right. Dark, too. Now, how do we handle this? Kamish. Yes, Lloyd? Why don't you boost Rolly in the window while I go phone the chief that somebody's breaking in? Yeah, all right. Wait a minute. Why don't you boost Rolly in and I'll do the phone? You're taller than I am. Besides, I already got my nickel out. Uh, all right. You come out, Rolly. 
The wind is around this corner. Better stay in the shadows, Commissioner. We don't want anybody to see us too soon. Good idea. Stay close behind me. I'm practically in your hip pocket. Watch it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. I'm a little nervous. If the mayor ever caught me doing a thing like this, he really would fire me. Well, come on, come on. Let's break in, Commissioner. It's getting cold out here. Yeah, well, I'll try the window. Here? You're unlocked. Here, here's my foot. Give me a booster. You all right? Yeah. You all right, Roby? Oh, fine. Hey, the coffee pot's still hot. Can I hand you a cup? No, thanks, Roby. Dark. Can't see a thing. Yeah, I'll sneak back to Hi, Commissioner. Yes, right! <laughs> Don't do that. Did you get him in all right? Yes, we're all set. Good. The chief's on his way down. Oh, that must be his car now. Oh, he couldn't make it this fast. Well, then who is it? Oh, I'm getting out of here. You're flying! Wait! Oops. Shining a spotlight on me. Who's there? Uh oh. Mr. Mayor. Is that you, Gildersleeve? Hello, Mr. Mayor. I was out checking up. I thought I saw somebody sneak into this alley. Yeah, well, I was just taking a little walk. <laughs> uh, taking a walk? Who opened this window? Gildersleeve, you were breaking into Peavy's store. No, Mr. Mayor. It isn't me. Somebody else broke in. Oh, and you're the lookout. Yeah. You know. <laughs> no, I... Well, I'm a witness. There's a man in there. I pushed him. I mean... I saw him go in. Gildersleeve? Now, Mr. Mayor, you know I'm not a prowler. Yes, but it would look awfully good in tomorrow's paper. Oh, brother. Well, I'll prove there's somebody in there. By George, I'll go in and get him. All right, go ahead, Gildersleeve. Go and get him. I dare you. All right, I will. I will. I'll stay right here. Oh. Lloyd would run away, that coward. Wish I'd run, too. Well, Gildersleeve, where's your brawler? Yeah, I'm looking for it. He was getting a cup of coffee a moment ago. What's that, Gildersleeve? <laughs> Never mind. You wouldn't understand. Oh, no. Darn cold cases. Brawler. I mean, Rolly. Rolly. Why doesn't he answer? Hmm? Hey, the front door's closed. No. No, it's open there and there, and he's gone. My goodness, he's gone. Oh, my goose is cooked. Well, I may go out, go out to Peavy's front door and go around to the alley. Oh, how will I ever explain this to the man? Where did that darn roly go to? Without a witness, I'm a dead pitch. The man knows I'm honest, but he'll ruin me for this. Is that you, Mr. Gildersleeve? Chief! Gildersleeve, explain this to Chief Gates. Commissioner, I got an anonymous phone call that somebody was breaking into the drugstore. You did? And who do I find climbing in an open window but his honor, the mayor? <laughs> Gildersleeve, explain to this cowhead. I was coming in after you. Tell him. Yeah. Me? Gildersleeve! <laughs> yeah, look pretty good in the papers tomorrow. Imagine, our mayor, a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Oh! Of course, he couldn't be that. When this is over, you won't have any Hyde. <laughs> now, 
Commissioner, I think you're being a little too hard on the mayor. What, uh, what did you say, Chief? I can't believe you'd do anything dishonest. Why, of course not. I'm sure you had a good reason for climbing in that window. You're an honorable man. Well, maybe you're right, Chief. You can be a fine fellow, Mr. Mayor. Gates, you're a prince, the salt of the earth. As long as I'm mayor of Summerfield, you'll be the chief of police. Isn't that nice? Thank you, Mr. Mayor. You'll always be my friend. And you, too. Fellas, cut it out. I'm getting an icicle on my nose. Nice of you to come down to the jail with me, Commissioner. Well, it's a comfortable little spot, Chief. Gets rather lonely down here, though. Just me and all the empty cells. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. I wonder what happened to Rose. What happened to who? <laughs> Nothing, Chief. I just said I wondered what happened to who's knocking on the jail door. Yes? Well, Roly, what are you doing out on a night like this? I'm my best to get in. Arrest me, Chief. Roly, I've explained I can't do it. I broke into Peavy's drugstore. Oh, then it was you. Sure. Car stopped in front and it wasn't yours, so I ran. But I was in there. Are you sure? I promise. It wasn't I, Commissioner. Well, now you mention it. I recognize him, Chief. Come on in, Rolly. Oh, thanks, Chief. Put the coffee pot on. You know where it is. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, isn't that nice? The Chief won't be lonely anymore. Good night, folks. Greg Gildersleeve is played by Willard Waterman. The show is written by Paul West, John Elliott, and Andy White, with music by Robert Armbruster. The cast are Walter Ketley, Mary Lee Robb, Lillian Randolph, Ken Christie, Stanley Farrar, Porter Hall, Arthur Q. Bryan, Earl Roth, and Dick LeGrand. This is John Heaston saying goodnight for the Kraft Foods Company, makers of the famous line of Kraft quality food products. Be sure to listen in next Wednesday and every Wednesday for the further adventures of the Great Gildersleeve. That unconventional gentleman, Groucho Marx, stars next on NBC. And that's The Great Gildersleeve from December 13, 1950, starring Willard Waterman, sponsored by Kraft. That was your uh, that was your account at J. Walter Thompson, right? That's right. You were listening. She worked for Kraft. Uh, it, was, it was Philadelphia brand cream cheese? That was my product. Wow. That's yes. pretty cool. You've it's, been all around the block, Lisa. I've been around the block and back again. She was a criminologist. <laughs> she was a, a criminal. Right. All of the above. She was a home economics teacher. A teacher. Yeah. Yeah, no. But did you study space? I, yeah. I, no, I took up space. Took up space in college, <laughs> yeah, right. Very good. All right. When we come back from break, it's crime classics. Don't miss it. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hi, Carl Amari here. During the month of August, log on to ClassicRadioStore.com and digitally download Dragnet Volume 1, featuring 12 exciting police dramas starring Jack Webb. Regularly priced at $19.99, it's yours for half price, only $9.99 via digital download this month only. Also on sale during August is Fibber McGee and Molly Volume 1, featuring 12 comedy episodes starring Jim and Marion Jordan. Regularly priced at $19.99, it's yours for half price, only $9.99. 
$9.99 via digital download this month only. Visit ClassicRadioStore.com and digitally download Dragnet Volume 1 and Fibber McGee and Molly Volume 1 at 50% off their regular price. In September, these two collections will go back to full price, so don't miss them while they're on sale during August. Log on to ClassicRadioStore.com to order, and while you're there, download an episode of Suspense starring Cary Grant absolutely free as our gift to you. That's ClassicRadioStore.com. Hi, this is Carl Amari. I've started the Classic Radio Club, where each month you'll receive 10 of the greatest shows of all time on five CDs in a collector case. Join now and receive your first five-CD collection of 10 classic radio shows, regularly priced at $39.95 for only $4.99. Each month I'll hand-select 10 more of the greatest classic radio shows of all time from my library of 100,000 shows and send them to you on five CDs. And I promise they'll be superior sound quality and you'll never receive a duplicate show. Log on to ClassicRadioClub.com and we'll rush you your first five-CD collection with ten of the greatest classic radio shows of all time for only $4.99. Your first collection will feature Abbott and Costello, Sam Spade, Dimension X, Escape, Fibber McGee and Molly, Gunsmoke, Half Gun Will Travel, Inner Sanctum, Jack Benny, and Suspense. You're going to love the Classic Radio Club. Learn how to join at ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Welcome back. I'm Carl Amari. This is Hollywood 360, across about 200 radio stations coast to coast. And it's time now for a true crime case on Crime Classics. This was a docudrama that came to CBS Radio in 1953. only lasted one season. It was created, produced, and directed by Elliot Lewis. And these were true crime cases examining crimes and murders throughout history. Lou Merrill portrayed our host, Thomas Hyland, and the series featured radio's finest supporting players. This is called The Shrapnel Body of Charles Drew Sr. It's from July 6, 1953. Here's part one of Crime Classics. Good evening. This is Crime Classics. I am Thomas Hyland. I'm going to tell you another true crime story. Listen. The sound you hear is that of a man having his right hand hook filed. It's Saturday night in London town, and he wants to be gleaming and presentable. The year is 1739, when a well-sharpened hook in London town was considered prudent. And Captain Rat, that's R-A-T-T, besides being a drunkard, a scoundrel, and a smuggler, was a prudent man. The young man handling the file is named Charles Drew, Jr., and he is performing this intimate little ironmongery because he needs a favor done. Captain Rat can help him out. He can supply the youngster with an alibi, and Junior badly needs one, for he has just shot his father dead. And tonight, my report to you on the shrapnel body of Charles Drew, Sr., Crime Classics, a new series of true crime stories taken from the records and newspapers of every land from every time. Your host each week, Mr. Thomas Hyland, connoisseur of crime, student of violence, and teller of murders. Now, once again, Mr. Thomas Hyland. The year, as I've told you, is 1739, and the place? Long Melford in the county of Suffolk. Long Melford was a small, quiet town near London, and in it, a manor. And in the manor, a high-vaulted room of roaring fire, great shadows, and flying buttresses. 
directly beneath the buttress that flew toward the west, two men, father, son, Charles Drew Sr., Jr. Son? Yes, father? The time has come for you and I to have a talk. I'm grateful. There are things vexing me. Perhaps what I have to tell you will answer your vexation. I'm very fortunate. I've tried to be a good father. A most excellent father. There's no one richer than you in Long Melford. Which is what I want to talk with you about. I know. I've drawn my latest will. This. What a gentle and most excellent father I have. Have you ear to what they say of you in the square? No, what do they say? That you are gentle and most excellent. What of the will? I'm leaving everything to your five sisters. And to you, sixpence, to lend, to spend, to start your fortune. But, but the last will, the one before this, you left me everything. And only a kind word to my five sisters. Mm. That was when you were eleven. Now you are nineteen. And a good son. To whom good? To you good. Nay, to the cutthroats and smugglers with whom you cousin. It is not so. This is so, I know it. You consort with people of ill fame. And also with Mr. Richardson's housekeeper. Shall I explain this of Mr. Richardson's housekeeper to you? Would be well. She is a most excellent housekeeper, and I wish to employ her for our own household. And this you have been trying to do for the last year? Well, she demands high payment. Our family can afford high payment. But I personally cannot, Father. Not until I inherit your fortune. And which, with this new will, will never be. Father... I don't scare, son. Wave that gun or... A smattering of intelligence concerning 1739 ballistics. Ammunition was chiefly of two types, round or irregular... The former was manufactured by dropping chunks of molten lead from a great height, and when it reached the vat of water at the bottom of flight, it was round, due to centrifugal forces and gravity. Among men who puttered with this sort of thing, round shot was considered pretty fancy. Mostly, guns were loaded in this era by whatever iron junk was to hand. It should be recorded that Charles Drew, Jr. had stopped at a small junkyard on his way to talk with his dad. This is the reason the coroner found numerous pieces of irregular junk iron in Dad's corpse. Let's see what Dad's son is up to now. Scene, Ye Old Bunnery, a run-down bake shop on Abernathy Lane. The time, two hours later. Principals, Charles Drew, Jr. and Mr. Humphrey, Bunbaker. What brings you to Ye Old Bunnery, Charlie? I want to know a thing. And that is what? Humphrey, how would you like a hundred pounds? You ever saying hundred pounds? All you must do is say you killed a man. I killed a man. My hundred pounds, please. You must say you killed my father. I killed your father. My hundred pounds. To the police. Charlie. Two hundred pounds now, and and, and two hundred pounds after you've been to the police. You killed your poor old dad, Charlie? With this pistol. Huh? Lead you to be a very rich man? If someone were to go to the police and said he killed my father... He would be rich, too. <laughs> With his neck in the gibbet. I would guarantee that the man would be released. Inside of a week, he would be released. There are jailers who would release such a man, persuaded correctly, with enough money. A guarantee, I... I know a guarantee. 
Write me a confession that you killed your poor dear old dad. I will hide it. I will go to the police and confess the deed. If I'm still in jail in a week, I will tell the jailer there to find your confession. Wrap me up a half a dozen of your excellent buns, Humphrey, and I will give you two hundred pounds, plus the price of them. Thereupon, Humphrey plucked a quill from his favorite goose in the back goose coop, sharpened it, and presented it to Charlie. With it, the lad wrote out his confession, paid up, and left. Humphrey waited for his wife, got permission to leave the shop, stopped at his house for a moment, then walked into the local constabulary and made history with this statement. If you boys are looking for a corpus, try 26 Bloom Street. If you're wondering what his name is, it's Charles Drew Seymour. If you're wondering who did the murder on him, it's me. And my name is Humphrey. The police, upon arriving at the appropriate room at 26 Bloom Street, understood immediately that foul play had been done. One of the constables was assigned to look in on the household of Mr. Humphrey, and there saw the Humphrey children at play at Thistledy-Doo, a game usually played with marbles, but by the Humphrey children, played with pieces of iron junk, which latter were of a size that could easily be rammed down the muzzle of a gun. The gun was there, too, under a pillow on Mr. Humphrey's side of the bed. Mrs. Humphrey, who in the meanwhile had returned home, shook her head philosophically when apprised of the situation. It is recorded that Mrs. Humphrey's parents had both been put away as confirmed smugglers, a felony against the Crown. The next day, in jail... Nice of you to visit me, Charlie. Yes. What news do you bring? When am I to be released? I... I went to see Sir Roger Firebrace. Wow, is Sir Roger? Dead. It is a pity, too, for he would have gotten your release in an ounce for a few hundred pounds. Don't forget, laddie. I've got your confession. You've got till Sunday. That's part one of Crime Classics. More after these words. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Now let's get back to Crime Classics. The youngster, however, knew another man of note, Sir Chauncey Fenwick. Sir Chauncey was compassionate and understood the situation exactly, but unfortunately had just had one of his periodic fallings out with the magistrate's wife. But Sir Chauncey did not send the lad away empty-handed. He suggested an old sea dog named Captain Rat. Uh, with two teeth. Um, what's the file, Mr. Drew? You'll be missing me up and be scraping my wrist. Oh, I'm very sorry, Captain Rat. Mm. Nervous, beat you? I, I travelled here to London to talk to you. Yeah, you see, Sir Fenwick sent you to me. Sir Fenwick took five hundred pounds and said he could do nothing with it. You're my last resort, Captain Rat. We bit here, Mr. Drew. Aye. No. What can old Captain Rat do for you? Do you have any influential friends? What be you needing? An alibi. For yourself? For a friend. Nay, tis always for a friend. What about him? He confesses he killed my father. And he be your friend? By killing my father, he made me rich. I bear him no malice. And for him you want an alibi. Why? Why not let him rot? Why, Zanny? You see, I... You kill your daddy, sonny. <laughs> Keep the hook, Captain. You almost stuck me. <laughs> Pardon, young gentleman. An alibi you wanted it. 
for a friend, eh? To say what? That my friend is making a mistake. That he is having hallucinations. That he did not kill my father because he was with you the night my father died. And where, Mr. Drew, will that leave you? Oh, since one has confessed to the crime, it is doubtful whether I would be charged with it. A sly one. Beant you a sly one, young gentleman. Beant you. Oh. <laughs> I'll travel down to the jail with you and have a talk with your friend. How's that, eh? Very good. I, uh, <clears throat> I'll need 500 pounds for expenses. Oh, uh, uh, yes. Now. Yes. That <laughs> 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 is wasting a Saturday night and all, coming down here to the dungeon speaking to you, Mr. Humphrey. But I don't mind. And you're going to furnish me an alibi, Captain. Uh, this be a strange one. I explained it all to you, Captain. You kill your dad. This one here says he done it. Now the both of you want me to say he couldn't have done it because he was with me. That lad thought it up. He's the bright one, not me. My plan will work. By the time you get Humphrey out of here and the police begin to dig about again, I'll be in Paris. Lost. I will change my name and with my fortune I can... Uh, for your fortune, I will do it. I gave you 500 pounds. Bah, the pittance. Your fortune, Mr. Drew. Except what he's promised to me. What about it, lad? What? No. Bah. Mela! Pleasant talking to both of you. It's Saturday night, Charlie. What will you do? It's Saturday night, Charlie. I've got your confession hidden away. And tomorrow's Sunday. What will you do? And they looked at each other there in the dungeon, the jailed and the young visitor. And the question hung there. What would Charlie do? It's Saturday night. And tomorrow is Sunday. What will you do, Charlie? It's a short, dusty road from Long Melford to London. Not only that, but these days it's hard to find. In its day, however, it was remarkable for two things. The brothers' shoes spooner, Dick and Harry, who embarked on a career of highwomanship on the morn of June 3, 1735, were hung on the eve of that same day from the highest branch of an elm at a fork on Long Melford Road. The other historic feature of Long Melford Road is the fact that on a Sunday morning, a young murderer, Charles Drew Jr., and his lady love rode a coach down its ruts. Oh, he's a ranting, roving lad. He is a brisk and a bonny lad. Be tied what may I will be with, and follow the boy with the white cockade. Liz. What is it, dearie? Shut up. Everyone's singing that song, dearie. It's the rage. Please, shut up. Oh, duck, what's the matter? You're the cause of it all. Of what all, duck? My killing my father. You wanted a way to have all his money? I told you a way to do. That's all. Yes. Oh, duck, dearie. You'll see when we get to London what a time I'll show you. Make you forget. Since I've killed him, I've done everything wrong. Will you listen to Liz again? Will you? Surely I'll listen, Poodle. Oh, duck. <laughs> Monkey. Will you listen to Liz? Surely. 
When we get to London, we change your name, and you forget about Humphrey. But if I, I don't get him out of jail tonight, he'll show the police my confession. But you'll be in London. Start forgetting about him right now. <laughs> All right. <laughs> And so they fled to London Town, little knowing that they had made a road famous. In London, they located a little-known hideaway called Bonham Carter's Thorny Bull Inn, on the corner of Asquith and Chiswick. The lad registered under an alias, Thomas Roberts. Liz, however, registered in her own name, Elizabeth Bathall. As this was going on, back in Long Melford Jail, where Mr. Humphrey was, there transpired this. In one hour, Varsity, I'm getting out of here. You be a fool. How? A fool. Where'd you ever have so much money? What bun are you baking, Varsity? This bun. The lad's giving you money, all that money, and he's good for more. Aye. All we want. He's a rich one, that's true. We can get more money before you show his confession. How? You said he fled. Is Liz told me they were off to London town. You could write him a letter and say as long as he paid you twenty pounds a day, you'd be willing to stay where you are. Twenty pounds a day. That's a robbery. (laughs) (laughs) I will go to London and find Master Drew and present him with the letter. How will you find him? I will ask here and about of him. London, eh, Bart? London. What of the children? Oh, Mrs. Nickelrod says she will take care of them. And you, alone in London? Uh... <laughs> so Mrs. Humphrey went to London. A few observations about Mrs. Humphrey. Wash away the flour and the excess dough. Put on long sleeves to hide the muscles made prominent from kneading bundo. Comb the hair, exchange shoes for boots, and Gertrude Humphrey was rather, uh, presentable. When she went to London, Mrs. Humphrey did all of these things, plus making a mental note not to laugh too much, not only because of the horrible sound she made, but also because of the mischievous twitch it brought on, which she could not control. So, off she went to this place, to that, to this pub, to that, asking for a Mr. Drew. I should like to comment here that in 1739, the gin was of an excellent Holland distillation. However, its chemistry had a peculiar reaction with Gertrude Humphrey. Though she fought it, and though she laughed not at the most hilarious joke, including the historically famous one about Lady Mumbley and the Troubadour, the gin caused her to twitch mischievously. This attracted to her London dandies, who plied her with more Holland gin, and who promised her help in finding Mr. Drew. And who never did. But Gertrude never lost sight of her mission. And one night in a pub in Covent Garden... Mister! Mister! What's a present, dearie? Well, now, dearie... I want a gin. Uh, gin for the lady? What's your name, dearie? Gertie. Gertie? Aye. Is it you, Gertie? Pick up. Well, now, dearie... Is your name Drew? Is that what you want my name to be? I'm looking for Mr. Drew. Mr. Drew, is there a Mr. Drew? Yes. Oh, now, Gertie, I'm the one who's bought you the gin. Yes, my name is Drew. 
<laughs> you ain't the Drew I'm looking for. Well, now, why do you say that? Oh, here they are, lad. Oh, I'm the fellow's bought her the gin. Here's a guinea, my lad. Find another lady who likes gin. Oh, oh I will, that governor. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, Kathy. Oh, now, now, why do you weep, pretty one? You're so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Always cry at beautiful things. Gin for the lady. Now, 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 stop that weeping. Ah, here's your gin. I say, mischievous wink you have. Is that truly your name? Truly, Ladybird, it is. Ladybird, Ladybird. And you were looking for me? Ladybird. My name is Drew, and uh, you shouted for Mr. Drew. So beautiful. What do you want of me? I've a letter for a man named Drew. Really? Oh, I want you, David. I really do. Then give it to me. You must turn your back now. Right you are. Yeah. <laughs> you want a conniver, you are. <laughs> His name really was Drew, Timothy Drew. It's one of those coincidences in history which gave rise to the old saw, truth is stranger than fiction, as they say. And he was a curious man, and a proud man, jealous of his name, Drew. He had heard his name mentioned, and he was forced to find out why. He read the letter then and there. He read it again, a little later, out loud, to the police. And my missus told you have gone to London with Liz Bathall. But, Charlie, my lad, you shall pay me twenty pounds a day, else I will tell that you have murdered your poor daddy. I have your paper, which you confessed you did, right where nobody but me knows where. So when my wife hands you this letter, you better give her money and find a way to keep it, uh, giving it to her, your faithful servant, Mr. Walter Humphrey. Gentlemen, here in London is a man named Charles Drew. He has murdered his father, and he bears the same surname as I. I cannot permit this deed to go unpunished. Even in 1739, the London police were thorough, and, goaded by the enormity of the crime and spurred and accompanied by a man whose name had been besmirched, they combed the alleys, hostelries, pubs, dens. It was late on a moist Thursday morning when Timothy Drew happened into Bonhomme Carter's Thorny Bull Inn, on the corner of Asquith and Chiswick. Bonham Carter denied the presence of a Mr. Charles Drew, but affirmed that a Liz Bathal was most certainly a guest there. He directed Timothy to Liz's chambers. Who is it? Open the door. No games, dearie. It's too early. Who is it? A representative of the police. Why didn't you say? May I come in? If you be the police, you can do anything, ain't that so? Thank you. I ain't done nothing. Is your name Elizabeth Bathall? It is. Do you know a man named Charles Drew? What's he look like? I don't know. Then how can I tell if I know him? Here, here, what sort do you take me for? There's no one in my closet. Ah. What is this young man doing under your bed, madam? Oh, a man? What's he... Quiet, woman. Is your name Charles Drew? I'm talking to you under the bed there. Is your name Charles yes, Drew? Sir. Come out from under there, sir. 
That's right, sir. My name is Charles Drew, sir. And did you kill your father? It would be a small life, living as I have been. Yes. Yes, I killed my father. I have the original issue of a gazette dated January 22nd, 1740, from which I'd like to read. The melancholy proof that when a man has abandoned all religious principles and has suffered his depraved appetites and passions to govern his reason was shown yesterday when Charles Drew, Jr. was hanged in Long Melford. Since the hanging elm on Long Melford Road had recently been demolished to make a keel for the British Navy, a new gibbet was erected. This gibbet was equipped with a new mechanical device invented by Mr. Douglas Langford of Eastburn. Mr. Langford is to be congratulated. The shrapnel body of Charles Drew Sr., tonight's crime classic, was adapted from the original court reports and newspaper accounts by Morton Fine and David Friedkin. The music was adapted from themes of the period and conducted by Bernard Herman. And the program is produced and directed by Elliot Lewis. Thomas Highland is portrayed on radio by Lou Merrill. Charles Drew Jr. was played by Terry Kilburn and Liz by Betty Harford. Featured in the cast were Paul Fries, Ben Wright, Irene Tedrow, William Johnstone, and Anthony Ellis. Bob Lamont speaking. And here again is Thomas Highland. Thank you. Good night. Stay tuned now for Gary Moore with Arthur Godfrey's Talent Scouts, which follows immediately over most of these same stations. And remember, America now listens to 110 million radio sets and listens most to the CBS radio network. And that's Crime Classics from July 6, 1953, with the shrapnel body of Charles Drew Sr., starring Lou Merrill, also in that cast, Paul Fries, Anthony Ellis, Terry Kilborn, Ben Wright, Irene Tedrow, and Bill Johnstone is heard on CBS. Let's take a quick break, then it's more on Hollywood 360. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hi, this is Sarah Knight Adamson. I'm the national film critic for the website sarahsbackstagepass.com. I'm a member of the Broadcast Film Critics Association in L.A. and a voting member of the Critics' Choice Film Awards. Coming up next, you'll hear a film review of a movie that's playing near you. Hotel Transylvania 3, Summer Vacation, rated PG. It's animation and comedy for kids by Columbia Pictures. This is the third movie in the series that began in 2012. Count Dracula, voiced by Adam Sandler, takes a vacation on a cruise ship with his daughter, voiced by Selena Gomez. Dracula falls in love with the ship's captain, only to discover she secretly wants to kill him. Let's take a listen. Ahoy there! I am Captain Erica. You must be the one and only Dracula. There's something about an accent that makes a man sound so... So intelligent. The director is Gendy Tartakovsky. We find out that Captain Erica is actually the granddaughter of Abraham Van Helsing, the vampire hunter. Here's another clip. You were right, great-grandfather Van Helsing. Monsters are disgusting. They have no idea what's about to happen to them. The bottom line, ooh, I'm way out. One and a half stars out of four. 
I was not a fan of the first two movies, and this one is sadly worse. Dracula lies to his daughter in the first film, and he actually says in this movie, you know, I should really stop lying to my daughter. I mean, come on, what are kids supposed to learn by parents lying to their kids? And why is this even a plot line in a children's film? The jokes fall flat, the kids were not laughing. The DJ duel, oh, just weird. Loud house music. Anyway, I say skip it. Check out my written review on Rotten Tomatoes. See you next week. Hi, this is Carl Amari. I've started the Classic Radio Club, where each month you'll receive 10 of the greatest shows of all time on five CDs in a collector case. Join now and receive your first five-CD collection of 10 classic radio shows, regularly priced at $39.95 for only $4.99. Each month I'll hand-select 10 more of the greatest classic radio shows of all time from my library of 100,000 shows and send them to you on five CDs. And I promise they'll be superior sound quality and you'll never receive a duplicate show. Log on to ClassicRadioClub.com and we'll rush you your first five-CD collection with 10 of the greatest classic radio shows of all time for only $4.99. Your first collection will feature Abbott and Costello, Sam Spade, Dimension X, Escape, Fibber McGee and Molly, Gunsmoke, Have Gun Will Travel, Inner Sanctum, Jack Benny, and Suspense. You're going to love the Classic Radio Club. Learn how to join at ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. Hey fans of Classic Radio, Carl Amari here. I've created a free app just for you. Get 10 Classic Radio shows free in the Classic Radio Shows app. Plus, there are many more shows available for in-app purchase. You can get your free Classic Radio Shows app in the Google Play Store or the Apple Store. The easiest way to get your free app is to log on to Hollywood360radio.com and scroll down to the Classic Radio Shows app banner and click either the Google link or the Apple link. Don't miss out. Get your free Classic Radio Shows app today. Hi, Carl Amari here. During the month of August, log on to ClassicRadioStore.com and digitally download Dragnet Volume 1, featuring 12 exciting police dramas starring Jack Webb. Regularly priced at $19.99, it's yours for half price, only $9.99 via digital download this month only. Also on sale during August is Fibber McGee and Molly Volume 1, featuring 12 comedy episodes starring Jim and Marion Jordan. Regularly priced at $19.99, it's yours for half price, only $9.99. $9.99 via digital download this month only. Visit ClassicRadioStore.com and digitally download Dragnet Volume 1 and Fibber McGee and Molly Volume 1 at 50% off their regular price. In September, these two collections will go back to full price, so don't miss them while they're on sale during August. Log on to ClassicRadioStore.com to order, and while you're there, download an episode of Suspense starring Cary Grant absolutely free as our gift to you. That's ClassicRadioStore.com. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Well, next week it's Jeff Regan Investigator, Mr. and Mrs. North, Mark Trail, the General Electric Theater, Duffy's Tavern, and Nick Carter, Master Detective. From my team here at Hollywood 360, thank you all very much for tuning in. Stay safe. We'll see you next time.